I'd like to welcome you this morning to the Tennessee Farm to Family Podcast. I am Ransom Goodman, the Henry County UT Extension Ag Agent. I'm here with Mr. Michael Murphy, the Vice President with Clifty Farm Country Meats, and Miss Stacy Foy, the Henry County 4-H Agent with UT Extension. Uh, we're here to talk to you th- this morning about Tennessee country hams. Um, Michael, I'd like to start with you and just say, how did you and your family get into the country ham business? Well, Ransom, I, I do uh, appreciate you and Stacy having me here this morning and uh, uh, appreciate the opportunity to talk about uh, our industry and our uh, business and family business. And uh, our family got into the uh, country hams when uh, my grandfather, uh, Truman Murphy, uh, actually grew up in the Cottage Grove area just outside of Paris here. Uh, grew up on a farm uh, where country ham was just a way of life. People cured their own meats. They, they uh, of course, they raised their own hogs. They cured their own meats, and it was out of necessity more than uh, what they wanted or what they, uh, uh, what their taste preferences were. But uh, they did it to preserve meat throughout the winter time, and so he grew up doing that. Um, as he got older, and he actually only. Uh, went through school till about the seventh grade uh, as most people did back then he had to quit school and go work on the farm and so uh, um, not only row crops but uh, raising hogs and curing hams was just part of his daily life back then and uh, but as most people did uh, when the depression hit uh, he actually moved off to Detroit uh, to find a job Uh, got a job with GM and uh, got married and started a family and realized pretty soon that he wanted to get back to the country, he wanted to get back uh, closer to home. Uh, he took a transfer uh, with GM uh, to Murray, Kentucky, just across the state line here, uh, where they owned a stove plant and, and built uh, ranges. And so he worked there, and opportunity came up here in Paris uh, that the uh, community locker plant became available for sale. Now, uh, locker plants don't exist anymore. That was a business that existed uh, back at that time, 40s, 50s, early 60s. And in this area, even out in the county, there were folks that still didn't have electricity. Uh, they didn't have any way to store fresh meat. Um, uh, they came to town once a week and bought their dry goods. Uh, but there weren't, you know, we didn't have Walmart and Kroger and fresh meat wasn't available. Uh, you might have a butcher shop that was open a limited amount of time but most of these folks raised their own animals so they wanted to process them themselves and didn't have anywhere to store them so they actually rented a locker in a cooler uh, in the locker plant and so that was the beginning of the country ham business uh, uh, my granddaddy Truman he cured 200 hams the first year uh, they opened the locker plant in uh, uh, 53 cured a couple hundred hams uh, people back then probably thought he was crazy because everybody cured their own hams who's going to buy a ham when you can cure your own and uh, so by the second year though he started in 1954 he started actually curing some for sale Um, my father uh, went to UT Martin uh, graduated in 1962 and came back into the locker plant business by that time in the early 60s they were doing more and more country hams less and less locker plant because there was more availability of electricity refrigerators that was post-war appliances were being built uh, so uh, the locker plant business was kind of fading just the need for it and so the country ham business uh, started to grow a little bit and so that's kind of the beginnings of how our family got into that 
Well, that's really neat. That is absolutely. I love that that story. And uh, I remember growing up, um, a lot of the a lot of the farms, even when I was young, still had the old smokehouses um, located on the farms. Well, now that we know a little bit about the history and how y'all got started, could you tell us a little bit about Clifty Farm and its history? So at that time, <clears throat> there there weren't really branded products. The the country hams that we made were just the community locker plant, and uh, people would come buy them individually, and there might be come, uh, people that would come and buy them and sell a bit larger amounts for them, and they called them jobbers. They would load their truck full of them and go out to grocery stores and try to sell them. So we were mainly just producing them, uh, selling them out the door, and that was it. So as we grew, though, um, we realized that we needed more facilities, uh, bigger facilities. We needed uh, a more focused sales of our own product. So in 1970, uh, by, by, the, by the late 60s, uh, we were only doing country hams. No more locker plant, no more renting lockers. And by 1970, we built a new building uh, out on 641 South. And at that time, uh, Dad... Uh, Dan Murphy, Truman, and Dan uh, were in business together in the locker plant, but there was also another father and son family, J.D. and Terry Murphy. Now, our name is spelled M-U-R-P-H-E-Y. Their name was spelled M-U-R-P-H-R-E-E. So a lot of confusion over the years. They thought everybody was related, uncles, cousins, uh, that, but we were not related, but they actually at that time had been buying hams and selling them. Um, they had a piece of property out on 641 South, and and so uh, a partnership was formed. They gave the property. We all put up the building, and my father and uh, grandfather were kind of in charge of production. They were kind of in charge of sales, and so that was the early 70s. And we started pretty rapid growth then. Uh, the first plant was built in 70, mid-70s. There was an addition made. Uh, late 70s, another addition made. Uh, one thing that really helped with our growth is uh, uh, folks might remember our TV commercials. Uh, we got big in advertising. We were very focused in our marketing. And, and at that time in the late 70s, early 80s, uh, we were able to hire through through the Nashville connection here that's uh, only a couple hours away. Uh, we were able to hire folks like Little Jimmy Dickens, Roy Acuff, Loretta Lynn. Uh, Grandpa Jones was probably one of our longest-running spokespersons. And... Uh, uh, those folks uh, did television ads for us and helped the growth of our product throughout the southeast, not just locally here or even the Tennessee area. It helped us uh, gain more of a southeast presence through that, and so there was some pretty rapid growth there. Uh, one of the things that, that challenged us in the early 80s is uh, uh, we had located uh, there on 641 South, and at the time uh, that was in the county, and it and then it was taken in by the city of Paris. Well, at one point the USDA uh, came up with a ruling that said to call yourself a country ham, you had to be in the country. So because we were in an incorporated city, we couldn't call ourselves a country ham anymore. Uh, so actually over a period of years there, our little company, uh, it was kind of a David and Goliath deal. We went to the to US Supreme Court with it and won um, the court case, and it was kind of a standard set for a lot of other products too, but uh, it basically said that a product shouldn't be based on a geographical area. There should be a standard identity, the characteristics of the product. And so uh, when, once that precedence was set, we were able to call ourselves a country ham again. 
and it kind of opened the door for some other products. So that was always kind of a feather in our cap that, that we were able to add that to our industry and other industries too. Um, by the late 90s, uh, ownership in the company because of uh, deaths and families and all that, the ownership had kind of spread out. But by the late 90s, uh, our family, the Murphy family, had had actually purchased other families and my aunts and uncles and cousins and then the Murphy family also. So we had narrowed down our ownership by the late 90s uh, just to our family. And just recently, uh, well, I guess I should say uh, by that point in the 90s, we were probably one of the main four suppliers of country ham in the nation. Uh, there was four big ones and several small ones. Uh, but in 2019, we actually uh, sold to one of our competitors, uh, Burger Smokehouse in California, Missouri, who was also one of those four. So pretty quickly, we became over 50% of the market share of the whole nation's country ham supply. Uh, most of that being distributed in the southeast, but you know there is some nationwide distribution uh, through mail order, internet sales, and all that. Uh, so that's been a very good relationship since 19. And then actually, just nine months after our purchase, another country ham plant in North Carolina became available for purchase. And uh, Burger Smokehouse also uh, acquired that business. And we, we took the manufacturing there and moved it all here to Paris, Tennessee. So uh, the name of that country ham uh, uh, company is Hobes Country Ham. And so uh, we produce a lot of that product here and distribute it there in, in North Carolina. So we are now well over uh, 50% of the market share of the national uh, country ham supply, basically. Well, I guess I would say it's whoa now. It's fascinating. <laughs> it's fascinating. Um, now, I moved here, I don't know, became the ag agent in Henry County about 12 years ago, I guess. And uh, one of my favorite parts... Uh, about moving here was my son, who was in fifth grade at that time, could start participating in the Tennessee, the Henry County 4-H Country Ham Project. And uh, my family really has really enjoyed that. And I just wondered if uh, maybe you and Miss Stacy could share with everybody else a little bit more about this great program that, that teaches the kids a little bit about some an old tradition. And I don't mind starting here if you uh, – I'm on a roll here, Stacy. So <laughs> well, and, and I, I don't mind you starting because you started the program before <laughs> a few months before I got here. So so uh, one thing I left out in our history is uh, uh, as Clifty Farm, before the acquisition of burgers back in the late 80s, we acquired another uh, country ham plant in Scottsville, Kentucky. Uh, here in Paris, we have about 100,000 square feet of controlled temperature uh, processing area and curing area. Uh, the plant Kentucky is about 40,000 square feet uh, that we bought in the late 80s, and that is curing only. We don't do any processing there. But in uh, the state of Kentucky, uh, also the Extension Service there, uh, there were several smaller country ham plants, and they all got together and kind of formed this country ham project. And so their project is, is uh, statewide. They have seven or 800 participants statewide. Uh, of course, it didn't in the beginning. It wasn't that large, but it has grown that that large. And after we had been involved in that project in Kentucky for a couple years, um, my dad Dan uh, got together with the agent here at the time, Ken Goddard, and then also uh, Jerry Bomer with the uh, Henry County Fair Association. And they thought, you know, this is a great program. 
a lot of success with it in Kentucky. We need to get this in Tennessee. And so I guess the whole premise behind the behind the project or the thought is um, it's kind of geared towards what we would call city kids, and that's that's kind of funny because Paris is a rural community. There's not, it's not. There's the city kids in Paris are a lot different than uh, a metro uh, Nashville city kid. But uh, uh, we still have kids that don't have access to a farm. They can't uh, feed a steer. They can't raise a hog. Uh, they can't participate in some of the other projects. And because we do this project at our facility. Uh, any, anyone can participate in it. Any student uh, can participate. And for us, uh, there's just a lot of kids that, that aren't exposed to agriculture. Uh, and we get, we get students every year that uh, they think food comes from either McDonald's or Walmart. Uh, they don't know hams come from pigs and steaks uh, come from cows. You know, there's, there's just a, a lot of uh, uh, kids that, that leave this project with a lot better appreciation from where their food comes from and the work that it takes to go into that. So that was the whole idea behind the project. And I'll, I'll let Stacy give a little more detailed information on, uh, on the growth of the project and, and how it actually works. So. Right. So when I came to Henry County as a 4-H agent in 2006, uh, June of 2006, the program had already um, started with the curing of the hams because that does take a, a little time. And there were 17 participants from Henry County the first year. Um, since then, it has grown. Um, we average between 60 and 70 uh, participants in Henry County. Uh, and throughout the years, we've had a few uh, surrounding counties um, come and join us. And so, uh, you know, I think the more the merrier, the more young people that we can um, expose to this. I think of it as a, as a heritage skill, you know, something um, that young people are able to do that is is a part of agriculture, but also something that, um, you know, when they, when they talk to family about it, especially some of their older generations, um, grandparents and great-grandparents, um, you know, they, they have something that they can relate to uh, those old farm ties and old agriculture ties. So um, it's a, it's a, you know, it's a, it's a really rewarding program for me. Um, they do not, the, the participants of the program don't just cure hams. Uh, they are responsible for presenting a speech each year. And it has evolved to where each year they have a, a new topic uh, to speak on. And so not only are they learning the process of curing hams themselves, but they're learning about, you know, ham pests uh, that, uh, people that cure country hams face and uh, different country hams from around the world and and things like that. So there's a public speaking element and then there's uh, also a record keeping element. They're required to keep records um, and answer some questions on the value of their ham and things like that. So they'll get to cure two hams um, through the process. We start usually in, in February and it'll take until August to get those hams cured. And then they'll get to take one of their hams home, and then the other one they will—that's um, their show ham, we like to call it. And so they'll—they'll uh, they'll be on display at the fair uh, in August at Henry County for the week of the fair, and then at the end of the fair they are sold at auction. And so it's a wonderful way not only for uh, our young people that are um, a little bit removed from agriculture and maybe don't don't have access to a farm to participate and 
in the fair and be involved in agriculture, but it's also a good way to uh, give them a little bit of money from their ham sales. And, and a lot of our young people will put that money back and save it for really important things like their college education or their first vehicle, or uh, it may go towards their first home or um, any number of things that's, you know, pretty important. So um, that's a little, a little rundown of our 4-H program. I know personally, like I said, it's a great project. I've watched my son uh, grow from being terrified to get in front of a group of people and give a speech on anything to be able to get up in front of anyone and talk about anything. And that's, that's to me, is just as important as, as learning about the, the history and things and how to present. But, man, it, it's a total project, and that's, what you, mm-hmm. that's what's great about 4-H. What's great about uh, this project, it is a total project. It's not just a, a hit and run. But uh, now we've talked about kind of the history and different things and what's going on in Henry County. Uh, Michael, where do you see the country hemp in Tennessee industry at this time currently? Um, well, the, the largest part of the uh, country hams are cured and produced in the states of Missouri, Tennessee, Kentucky, and North Carolina, kind of those uh, four states mainly. Um, <clears throat> there are some produced in Georgia, Alabama, and Virginia, smaller smaller amounts, but uh, Tennessee is one of the larger uh, suppliers and producers of country ham. Uh, we, are, we, of course, are the largest in Tennessee, but there are some still some third and fourth generation businesses out there, and just to touch on a few, uh, just like our three grand divisions over here in West Tennessee, you've got uh, Trip Country Ham in Brownsville, Tennessee, and Charlie Tripp, uh, owns that business. You've got in Middle Tennessee, you've got uh, Rice's Country Ham. They've been around for years. It's in Mount Juliet, and I believe Ed Rice's daughter, Jenny, probably uh, still runs that business. Uh, there's also the Hammery in Murfreesboro, Tennessee. That's it's owned and run by Bob Woods. Uh, and then East Tennessee, one of the more famous uh, 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 country ham and bacon producers over there in Madisonville, Tennessee, is Benton's Country Ham and Alan Benton is uh, still running that plant over there and pr- producing hams and uh, so there are still pockets of smaller producers you know uh, uh, they may produce in the tens of thousands of hams or less um, but there's still these businesses that exist uh, as talking about current uh, industry and uh, you can't talk about current without talking about the effects of COVID and what that's had on our industry and other food industries. Uh, of course, we had a little different experience being in uh, retail foods and meats. Uh, that created huge demand uh, starting last year, uh, demand that uh, beyond what we could actually meet. And so for a year and a half, uh, you know, we've had a little different experience with COVID than, than other businesses had. And it's some of it's been good. In fact, I joke and call it COVID positives. There's a few COVID positives that we've gotten through our business. And one is just our product category. We're in food, uh, in the food production business. And so uh, we saw a bump in sales definitely over the last year and a half. Uh, the second thing is uh, because of COVID, uh, you had people that, that, well, you had food service uh, venues that, that basically shut down for a while and still aren't back to 100%. But you had uh, people that returned back to cooking at home. And so uh, buying your, your, your grocery choices and your, and your eating habits, we're habitual creatures. So 
you get in the habit of doing something. And and honestly, with country ham, we probably have a have an aging demograph of people that buy our ham and use it. And so we could see a little bit of decline. But when COVID came around, you had more people that stayed at home that cooked. And so they got back in the habit of cooking country ham and eating country ham. So we had a return of old customers. And we even picked up some new customers and a new generation of folks that um, started cooking comfort foods and those sort of things. So so we've seen an uptick in return customers and return sales, even as, as COVID has somewhat gone away in our area, uh, we still see a, a gain in sales from that. And the third thing that, that's been a positive for us is just out of necessity, uh, we've gained efficiencies in our production. We've looked at ways that we can improve, uh, ways that we can reduce spoilage, ways that we can increase yield. And so uh, these, these outside conditions, when they change like that, they make you internally look at your business and, and make the improvements that you probably should have made a long time ago, but you just overlooked because it wasn't a necessity. And so we really have gained some efficiencies uh, in our production uh, due, to, due to COVID. Well, that's that's a <clears throat> that's a lot of information. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll tell you uh, to kind of wrap up today. Uh, one of the final things we wanted to talk about. Just uh, you've, you've talked about COVID and how it's changed, but where do we see the industry trending in the future? So, um, future challenges. There's always challenges in the future of any business, but as we all know, in in any type of ag or food production. Uh, we all operate with very low margins. We have somewhat commodity products, whether it's grains, whether it's meats, uh, corn, soybeans, you know, all these things, we are forced to operate at low margins compared to other industries that sell, let's say automotive or, you know, uh, other items that are high ticket items that can have a higher margin. So um, because we're, we're forced at low margins, we have to uh, continue to try to uh, sell more volume. You know, if we've got low low margins, we've got to produce as much as we can. Um, sometimes that's that's a good thing. Sometimes the that that can be detrimental. So, uh, like so much in other industries, uh, you see the smaller folks selling to the larger folks. Uh, you see smaller farms these days selling to larger farms, and those farms keep getting bigger. Uh, you see businesses selling to larger businesses. I think that will continue. Uh, there's good and bad of that. The bad is we may lose some of these folks that have cured for three and four generations. Uh, but that's just part of growth and part of uh, moving forward and part of progress, whether we like it or not. So I see that happening as we go on. Probably the market itself will reduce as far as the number of people that produce. Um, our future challenges, we we look at we look at our buy, our make, and our sell, and we will have challenges in each one of those. The buy, uh, right now, we're seeing fresh ham ability. We've got uh, availability. We've got some uh, challenges with that due to supply chain, mm-hmm. due to labor issues uh, in the packing plants. And so we're not getting exactly what we want all the time as far as the supply of fresh hams. Uh, in the make, we're having our own issues with labor and and uh and capacities um supply chain even with equipment uh, buying new equipment or buying parts for 
the equipment that we have, and, and obviously we're seeing this through all uh, agriculture. You know, people can't get tractor parts right now. Uh, they can't get the things they need when they need them, so that's definitely a challenge. And then in our sale, for us, the sale's not so much a challenge because there's still high demand. Now, that may level off at some point, but uh, freight, shipping, that's a challenge uh, for everyone right now. And so we do have some challenges to look ahead of, but uh, to me, in the ag slash food category, I, I couldn't imagine being in other, any other industry because overall, um, in food production, that industry is so much more stable than any other uh, industry that you can think of. You, you look at, again, automotive, uh, that seems to always be up and down. The tech industry, um, medical, uh, people are always going to need to eat. So there's always going to be demand and there's always going to be more people. So uh, that's one of the most stable industries there is. So I think the future looks bright for, for both ag and food production uh, as we go forward. That sounds great. Well, to wrap this up, I want to I wanna ask one last thing for both of you. I know we can't talk about Tennessee country hams without talking about eating. I mean, I, <laughs> my favorite thing to do is to eat. So when it comes to me, when I think of country hams, I think, what is my favorite dish? And I'm, I'm old school. Grew up, uh, our family come together having big Christmas breakfasts. And we always have country ham and biscuits with red-eye gravy. I mean, for me, that's my favorite country ham dish is the biscuits and the red-eye gravy with the country ham. What about y'all, too? What would y'all like? Well, Ranson, you absolutely stole um, my dish. That it, It's not really a dish. It's more of a, a meal and, and the memories and traditions that come with that. And that's that breakfast, uh, that Christmas breakfast. And uh, that, you know, I just... Think about that red-eyed gravy, and I just like I just like, I put that red-eyed gravy on everything: the eggs, the biscuits. Um, but I, I love that one. And then there's a country ham dip that I love. It's basically a, a you you're gonna grind your country ham up and combine that with uh, cream cheese, and then you can just put all the ground mustard on it you want. It's just spicy ground mustard, and it, it goes deliciously with crackers. Uh, it is hard to beat uh, country ham and biscuit and red-eyed gravy. That would probably be my favorite. Uh, Stacy mentioned country ham dip. Uh, uh, my mother actually has a recipe, and it's it's on our website uh, www.cliftyfarm.com. No s on farm, uh, but you can find it there in our recipes. Uh, but it's her original recipe, and it's a country ham dip that has the country ham pieces, um, cream cheese, sour cream, sautéed pecans, and it's a warm dip that you serve uh, heated. And it's one of my favorites if you want to go outside the box of your basic uh, country ham uh, breakfast. So uh, you can look, give a little plug there. You can look that up on our website. So. And I think at one time, if I remember right, on the website or on a pamphlet you once had, y'all had a country ham. It was like cheesy cheese and potatoes and country ham, and it was mm-hmm. yes, that's, that's there on our website also. And I'd recommend that one too. If you just, if you love potatoes and country ham, put those together in one big casserole. You can't beat that dish. That's for sure. And I think that something something I didn't know until um, I learned from Michael and his family, uh, we used to cook country ham at the auction to, uh, you know, entice people. Um, everybody loves the smell of that. But you know, if you're just going to fry your country ham, adding coke to your skillet and that was I had never heard of that before but it really is is delicious and and don't overcook your country ham that's correct (laughs) yeah we we say just a couple minutes on each side you're basically just heating the product up country ham 
uh, is a lot like uh, Italian prosciutto. It, it probably could uh, be consumed like it is, but in, in their country, they do that. For us, traditionally, we like to cut it a little thicker and fry it up, you know, like uh, for some reason here in the South, we like to fry a lot of things. So country <laughs> ham is one of those things. And uh, so, yeah, if you'll add a little bit of half Coke, half water to your skillet, uh, the, the caramel and the sugar from the Coke helps to uh, kind of settle down the salt a little bit and really gives it a good flavor. So. Well, I'd like to thank both of you coming today. It was great to, to learn more about Henry County and, and the country hams we have here, not just in Tennessee, and the opportunities that our local folks have that many others don't. It's kind of a really neat opportunity and, and thankful to be a part of that and be an ag agent here working, uh, sharing all these opportunities. Uh, again, uh, we'd like to welcome everybody for coming this morning and listening to us on the uh, Tennessee Farm to Family podcast. And, Wish y'all have a great day. Thank you.